Hello, you are listening to the Manchester City Football Social. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this podcast. If you're not subscribing already, what are you doing? You're going to miss a show. Hit subscribe. If you enjoy what you're listening to, which I'm sure you do, why don't you give us a nice rating? We've got a brilliant show coming up for you. Hope you enjoy it. Manchester City Football Social with Blue Moon Rising. Good evening and welcome to the Manchester City Football Social. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Natalie Pike and I am joined in the studio this evening by Sam Lee and Walter Smith. Good evening, gents. Hello. How are you doing? Very, very good. Um, Even better after last night's Liverpool result, but we'll get on to that in a minute because there is so much to cover tonight. We're going to have a little look to see if some City players are perhaps being scapegoated by some of our fans. And we're also going to be taking loads of your questions from Twitter. So there's still time for you to get involved if you would like to ask any of us a question here this evening or indeed if you would like to come on and speak to us. So you can do that. You can tweet us at MCRFootySocial. You can ring us 0345 triple one seven six two five or you can text us eight double seven double one but let's get straight into it let's have a little talk back about that incredible victory against arsenal on sunday and that incredible draw for west ham last night how are you feeling walter i said the uh, title race looked like it was doom and gloom but uh there's a sunrise certainly uh, over manchester it's uh tipped the scales in many respects and uh, i believe if we win at everton we're top of the league. I think there's a song about that, Raheem Sterling. <laughs> Can you believe it? Like, how were you feeling last Wednesday, Tuesday, last Tuesday, um, after that that result at Saint, uh, up in Newcastle? Oh, it's a kick in the teeth, wasn't it? It was uh, one of those games where you feel very confident about winning, and uh, you know you've got all the better players, and you're one nil up after you know a blink of an eye, and. Oh, the footballing gods weren't shining on us. So, yeah, I was absolutely gutted. Gutted. I thought, you know, it was all in the press there where it, it may have got away from us, but it wasn't to be. Well, the thing that night was, you know, City might have a couple of problems here and there with different things, but, you know, they're going to win most of their games from now to, to, until the end of the season. But the thing was, the biggest problem for City last week was Liverpool just didn't look like they were going to slip up at any point. And since then, you know, the last six days, they've slipped up twice. So it's just, it's all to play for again. And... It's you know I said when City lost last week, there's a long time to go, and I wasn't just saying that to appease City fans. You know there is a long time to go, so I wouldn't get too carried away yet. But the fact that Liverpool have started to have this wobble now, it does bode well for mm. for City's chances of winning the league. I have to admit, I generally I'm just like you, Walter. Generally, I'm super optimistic, and even at like ninety one thirty on the famous day, I was still going. We can do this. We can do this. Last Tuesday night, I had an absolute hissy fit and said, "That's it. It's over. We're never going to win the league." Now, I went to bed in an absolutely foul mood, and then obviously the next night, everything changed. And then I was like eating me words. I was like, "Oh yeah, never, never mind." <laughs> That's the best thing about it, isn't it? And that that is the I mean, that's the great thing about football, but it also I mean it just goes to show kind of it, I mean, fine, as fans you can completely understand that reaction. And it was a bad game, you know, I think Guardiola went to bed in as bad a mood as you did, you know, for <laughs> what it's worth. Um but it just goes to show how quickly it can change. But it just goes to show that, you know, these are these are two really good teams. Yeah. But they can have slip ups and it's just it's how you deal with that. But I mean we might talk about Liverpool squad in a bit, but City have got the best squad 
and everyone's kind of fit at the minute. Mendy apparently is 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 fit again to at least travel tomorrow. I mean, I don't think he's going to start, but he's coming back. That'll be a big thing. So, I mean, it does look like it has swung back in in City's direction. But like we say, this is football, and, and mad things do happen. And once you get the Champions League back into the mix, yeah. And I mean, normally. I guess you'd want Liverpool to lose to Bayern just just for the laugh because that's how football is. But (laughs) basically, the longer they stay in it, the better it is for City. And obviously, they're not in the FA Cup as well and we're still playing in that. We've got the League Cup final as well. So we've got this extra game tomorrow. Um, I want... Do you know what I've said? I've said before on this show, um, I am not one of these like want British teams to do well in the Champions League. I want everybody to fail except us and fail as miserably as as they possibly can. And I think the more Liverpool lose, although I I know what you're saying in terms of like the more they play... like distractions and the squad depth. I want them to lose because I, I want yeah. them to get to, to get into this mentality of losing. Yeah, it would be good for the lols, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> it is the thing with uh, a lot of football fans, I find, uh, it's, it's all black or white. You know, there's no middle ground. And it's just, you know, thank God that the um, the club isn't run like that. You know, they've got long-term and short-term and medium-term plans. But as a football fan, that game means everything. And if you if you lose, you know it's the worst day. And if you win, it's the best day. But that, as a fan, you've got that privilege. But as a club, mm. we're far better structured than that. And obviously, last night's game again that, that Liverpool drew. Um, there was a particular uh, p- person that played in that game that was really catching a lot of City fans' eyes, um, and that is Declan Rice. Yeah. I don't know a huge amount about him, but you, as an Irish man, Walter, you certainly know a bit about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as much as my accent sounds Mancunian, I was born in Dublin, so I do support the Republic of Ireland. And he was the best player at under-17. He was the best player at under-19 there. And they're absolutely praying for him to sign up because he's played three friendly games for Ireland, which I watched, and he was superb. And what I love about him is if you look at when he receives the ball, like, you know, Silva looks both ways. He does exactly the same. He's got a sort of 360 vision of the pitch whenever he gets that ball. He's not going to get someone coming in from the side of him. So I, I'd love to see... I was saying last summer they should have bought him, but I'd love to see Declan Rice under Pep Guardiola and his tutelage. You know, what could he do for him? He'd just improve him as a player. You know, he's got Manuel Pellegrini, but we've seen the difference between Manchester City players under Pellegrini and under Pep Guardiola. And every single one of them I can think of, probably besides Yaya, has improved immensely. So Declan Rice, I think, would be a fantastic understudy to Fernandinho. Yeah, I think Guardiola likes him as well. Um, I think Ooh. the biggest, the biggest, well, the biggest sign of that was after the the game in November, I think it was, and just in the press conference afterwards, he was doing his usual appraisal of the game and how it went, and he made like a special mention of Declan Rice. But I think he did his usual England, you should be proud, you've got a really good player kind of thing. He obviously, he didn't quite know the politics <laughs> of that, which I'm sure he, he does <laughs> now if they're looking at disagree. it. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so I think Guardiola's a fan as well. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if it'd be top of the list at the minute especially because you know they need a really perfect player basically to replace Fernandinho but if there's room to bring him in as well I mean West Ham they don't seem that competent a club in terms of you know their business decisions I I don't see them holding City to ransom you know Mm. they won't want to let him go easily and they might want a bit of a they've tied him down to a long-term contract and they, they've been bigging him up. I mean, he was a Chelsea youngster and he's be came to West Ham and he's been their best player at youth level mm. as well. So we are talking about a talent, but... Well, they won't want to let him go, but I just don't see no. them going 100 million. 
Well, we've no. actually got someone on the line that wants to talk about it, and um, this is, that is Lewis. And Lewis said, "Could Declan Rice be the mythical creature known as the Fernandinho replacement?" Hiya, Lewis. Hiya, you alright? Yeah, are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Right, what do you think about Declan Rice? Well, I didn't realise how good he was on the ball until I watched him last night. And um, Walter was just saying about his 360 vision. I've watched him a few times this season, but the thing that stood out for me is his tackling and his awareness off the ball. But I didn't quite realise how good he was on the ball last night. And he had a calm head. He, he was passing his way through the Liverpool defence. And I think the thing that stood out for me is that Fernandinho, who we praise like as high as possible, Fernandinho's been phased by Liverpool in the last 18 months. He's been, you know, he's been pressed off the ball, but Declan Rice had like a calm head. He was pressing through, he was press resistant almost um, on the ball, always looking to pass forward. And I thought, well, yeah, he could be that man to replace Fernandinho. We'll have to see how it goes. Yeah, would, Lewis, would you, would you want him to be, if, like, if, if the choice was down to you, because I'm sure you would have seen Guardiola's comments the other week saying they've got four or five players in mind for the kind of player that can come in and replace Fernandinho. If it were up to you, who who would you pick? If, say, some of the other names on there were Ndombele, Aruar, um Neves, those kind of names, for example, who would you go for? Uh, well, I think, obviously, Frankie de Jong's gone. So then I think maybe Ndombele is probably top of the list, but I don't know whether I've seen enough of him play um, to say that. I'd say Rice is probably ahead of uh, Ruben Neves for me. I think... Obviously, Neves has got a great shot on him and he's got a great passing range, but I think we are not. We don't need someone that's going to score goals. You just need someone that's going to shield the defence and can pass forward. So maybe Ndombele, but I think Rice would settle in maybe a bit easier because he obviously knows the league a bit better. Well, I know uh, Declan Rice is certainly on grown. I sent a tweet out last night and about 10 seconds later, he had that header. So it didn't. Uh, the tweet didn't age well, as it were. <laughs> But um, do you see anything else in Declan Rice's game that he could bring to Manchester City? Well, he's only 20. He's only just turned 20 in the last few weeks. And I was thinking, well, if if we sign him in the summer, that's at least 10 years out of him. So whatever fee we did play, I think he could do that. But also, I look at him as sort of a leader as well. I, um, yeah. I watched him last night in the midfield with Mark Noble, and he was sort of giving out uh, instructions to Mark Noble, who's probably 10 years older than him and played for West Ham for 10 years. So that's something as well. But when you think about company, maybe... Oh, we lost you. We lost Lewis. <laughs> but yeah, he was making some absolutely great points there, certainly about his age as well, just being the, 20. The maturity is a bit like Eric Garcia, who's in the City Academy at the moment. That's obviously a big thing. And obviously it's a big thing for football managers in general, but you can imagine if Guardiola were to bring in somebody who was 20 years old and he comes in first day on the training pitch, starts telling his older teammates what to do, then yeah, he could settle in very well. And I mean, it's no surprise really that he has got admirers like this, but now United have got a proper manager again. I think United are sniffing around him as well. And <laughs> it might it might go back to the days when... You're calling him a proper when, manager now? Well, I am. Well, yeah, certainly compared to the, the last <laughs> one. Um, but it might go back to the days now where City and United are going for the same players. Whereas recently that's not happened because um, Mourinho's not really been interested in anyone who can play mm. football. But now they're going to be. If you yes. look at like Wan-Bissaka at, at Palace and, and Chilwell at left-back, you know, United need full-backs more so than City. They're going to be looking as well. But Rice is definitely mm. one that... City will have to do their old their old tactics, basically, of getting into him, getting into his agent and saying, this is how much you'll earn if you want to come and play for Guardiola. Then you tell West Ham, you tell Golden Sullivan, 
and we'll sort out a deal with them. That'll be how they do it because I think a lot of people are going to want him. But if you want to improve as a young, if you're a young player and you want to improve, and it's certainly Declan Rice, and you think to yourself, which manager am I going to learn the most from? Which one am I going to get up highest up the echelons of football at? Manchester City's got everything there built for young players to come in, and he's got a whole raft of players around him, you know, very young players as well. And you mentioned Eric Garcia, and we talk about City and the leaders sometimes not on the pitch, but if you've got him, Garcia coming through, you know, that problem seems to solve itself. But is he going to play, though, as a 20-year-old, if you're playing every week in the West Ham team, are you going to come to City and play enough? Or are you happy to come and not play as much to, but to be at City under Pep? But you, City play miles more games, don't they? They get further in the Champions yeah. League, further in the FA Cup, the Carabao Cup. So the amount of games he would get on a percentage term would be far lower, but in an actual term of minutes on the pitch, I can't see there being that much difference. Yeah, it's such a big thing for Fernandinho, isn't it, that how, how many minutes he plays, and he'll be another year older, he'll be getting on for, what, 34, 35? <laughs> um, which, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem old in world terms, but for a footballer and keeping up with people who are like 10 years younger than you or more, that's a big thing. But he certainly didn't have any issues with that on Sunday, did he? With that new role and Guardiola's tactics before the game. So fascinating that, wasn't yeah. it? Were you like it? I think uh, when the team got read out in City Square, everybody just started looking at each other and we started talking and we came up with about five or six possible different formations. And I think the only one we didn't talk about was the one that... Yeah, I, I certainly didn't expect him to, to be a centre-back going into midfield. I suppose we should have, really, if we'd looked at what Guardiola's done before at Bayern and even, to a lesser extent, at Barca. But it was it was great how, it, how, it, how he had, the, how he had the, the guts to do it and how it actually worked as well. You know, for Fernandinho to, to be able to do that, but for Guardiola to spot that and trust him to do it in a game like this, you know, you know after, the, after a defeat against Newcastle, it wasn't... It wasn't a gimme, was it? And at Arsenal, we, we've all got our own thoughts about that. But it it was it was just so impressive and it just goes to show that really more than anything else that there's so much more to City than just, you know, the, we talk about the 4-3-3, but it's never really that. You know, no, it's people not. going into midfield and people spreading out and doing different things. But that was the clearest sign yet that there's so much that depends on where City are on the pitch, who's got the ball, mm. and Fernandinho kind of embodied that more than anybody at the weekend. Well, I mean, I think you put out a video there, and you could yeah. see, you, it was interesting because it drew the lines for you, just, just in case you couldn't figure it out yourself. But, uh, well, there's a lot, a lot of people, including myself, who, I mean, well, as, as many lines as possible, basically. Oh, it's I like it's not that. including that. <laughs> it's, on my, it's on my Twitter, yeah. Um, I think some, some lads from Argentina were on like a kind of football tactics yeah, account. Yeah. They sent me a message the other day saying, if you ever want to do any videos for City, just just get in touch and let us know. So after the Arsenal game, I went, oh, the Fernandinho defence into midfield thing was kind of interesting. Let's do that. So, yeah, they put some arrows on the, yeah, well, he's, nice. on the pitch he's and show, player, showed us how it works. So. You know, when you look at certain players and you can see that they don't possess that footballing intelligence. I mean, you've got Fernandinho there and he's brought the ball forward. I mean, he only lost the ball against Newcastle because I think he was put in such a bad situation. By the yeah, table. I don't think he expected to have two men closing, yeah. closing no. him down either. He, There's no he, fault He there. turned past one and there was someone else there. I think we'll all forgive him as well for all the good that he's well, done. Exactly, yeah. Always well, forgive him. <laughs> what do you think? To, this seems ridiculous. Like Anybody got want to do any like wild guess on what we'll play tomorrow when we play Everton? Well, last year we went... thing is, last year we went there and he kind of started the Laporte left-back thing. Yeah. And he was like left-back, left-centre-back, left-winger... Um, but that was kind of because they had Anfield in the Champions League coming up and I think he was kind of just 
trailing that. So I wouldn't be surprised if he just went back to, in inverted commas, the 4-3-3 tomorrow, maybe with Laporte at left-back because it worked right at the weekend. He can get another, well, basically a bit more reliable, isn't he, than Danilo and Delph and Zinchenko. And I don't think Mendy's ready yet. So I wouldn't be surprised if he went back to that, but bringing Sane and people like that and shouldn't be too much of a problem, really. Yeah, I can't wait for tomorrow night because uh, I'm, I'm, everything crossed for a win and we can start gloating about the fact that we're back on top of the league again, at least, you know, for three or four days. Um, there's so much to talk about. We bet we, I mean, we barely even got to talk about that Everton game there because there's just so much going on with City at the minute. And um, we're going to just take a little break. We'll be back in a minute. There's still time for you to get involved. If you want to tweet us at MCR Footy Social, ring us 0345 or text us 87711. And when we come back, we're going to have a little look at three players in particular that that we feel are getting a bit scapegoated by some City fans. Manchester City Football Social. Manchester City Football Social with Blue Moon Rising. Welcome back to the Manchester City Football Social on XS Manchester. I'm Sam Lee and tonight I'm joined by Natalie Pike and Walter Smith. If you want to get in touch with us, you can call us on 0345 7625 text on 87711 or tweet us on at MCR Social. We've got loads to get through now, including Premier League managers' excuses. Looking at you, Jürgen. We've got whether Pep Guardiola sometimes overthinks his tactics and later on we've even got a Sunday high quiz, if you can imagine that. But for now, we've got the potentially explosive issue of City scapegoats. So guys, do you think there are certain players that always seem to get stick when City don't play well? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think we've got different opinions in the studio on who we think that that is and how we feel about them. But for me, I think the person that the minute that's getting the most stick for no one for no, you know, he's. Well, I'll just say it and then you can know what I'm saying. It's Danilo. I'm going to stick yeah. up for Danilo and I do think he's been getting a bit of unjustified stick. He's, he's up for the um, January Player of the Month, which I think shows you how much the club thinks of him. He's been thrown into having to play right back, left back, being switched around. Um, he got a goal against Huddersfield. I just don't think he deserves the stick that he's that he's getting and I feel like, like he has become a scapegoat for a lot of people. Yeah, well, this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about how kind of reactive everything is and how over the top everything is because, like, for a while, Carl Walker's another one we might even get to. But people were saying, well, when Mendy's fit, Danilo will play right back because Walker's not been playing well. And that was kind of how well he was regarded. And then he had a bad game at Newcastle last week and everyone was just talking as if none of that stuff before it happened. And he was just terrible. And so he's definitely on the list now, Danilo. Um, On the scapegoat list. (laughs) Yeah. But but like you say, he's, he's, he's normally a right back. He's he's done all right. I mean, there's not been too much, too many opportunities for him to play right back this season because of injuries and because of injuries to others. And last season didn't play there an awful lot. So he's kind of doing his best at left back. If you have a bad game at Newcastle, he certainly wasn't the only one. And that that's the whole idea of a scapegoat, really, isn't it? But unfortunately, yeah, just if he's not in the team, then the City fans, well, not all, obviously not all of them, but a certain mm. element, I suppose, Twitter mainly can can find someone to <laughs> to pick at. Oh, Twitter will find anything to pick at any time, any place, anywhere. True. I know. Uh, I mean, it's got, we've got a bit of a history with this. I remember Richard Edgill getting dogs abuse at yeah. Main Road, but um, with, especially with Danilo. I mean, this is a guy who's played on the left side and the right side. But when he's playing left side, 
everything about him, you know, just thinks right because that's the position he's always sort of grown up in. That's what's natural yeah. to him. So he's going on to the other side of the pitch and just automatically when you sort of cut in... You've got, it slows things down, doesn't it? It slows things down because, number one, you're having to think about things, but the, the space in front of you is different as well. So... I wouldn't be too hard on Danilo. I know one for me that seems to be getting a lot of abuse is Cal Walker. Yeah. You know, and mm. this is a guy who had five days holiday. He wanted to come back early and prove himself. However, that's been his undoing because he had a couple of terrible games over Christmas. So he was in for sort of dog's abuse. I remember seeing him get uh, outpaced a few times, which I'd never seen before because it, yeah. was, it was just like you know, Bugs Bunny type character, you know, he was just faster than anything and you just seen him, he used his pace to get out of trouble. So to see him getting out pace this year, it's been something completely unusual. So when he played a big, he had a big part to play for City last year, played a lot of games, yeah. played in a different position for England in the summer in what was, you know, a stressful summer for the England players and ultimately disappointing as well, um, the way they went out. Um, came back, as you said, not much break and again, due to injuries, he's not had, He's not been able to be taken out of the team, really. He's come in and played in different positions at sometimes, as, we, again, we saw on Sunday. But, yeah, I mean, he has been out of form for the last couple of months. And, you know, there can be perfectly understandable reasons for that. But, again, it's when it comes to, like, the scapegoating, it's those kind of completely understandable reasons, they go out the window and it's just straight to he's useless, he needs to get out of the team, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just, it's just not... Helpful, I suppose, is the word mm. I'm looking for. But do you know what? Um, when when you are going through a tough patch, what you shouldn't be doing is putting, <laughs> you know, questionable tweets out there. Now, I, I, I listened to this show um, a couple of days ago when Adam Keyworth was talking about, and he obviously works in social media um, as his full time job. And he was saying that Cal, he he thinks that Cal Walker will have a company that deals oh, yeah, does his yeah. Twitter account. Um, but still, that I don't know, if you didn't see it, he put a tweet out after that Liverpool drew last week, and it was like a meme, um, you know, and they thought they would go seven points with them, um, Harry um, Maguire, and it, oh, I just a second I saw it, I just cringe. I just thought, mate, keep your head down. Like, just try and work hard, get back into the team. You don't need this, like, Twitter attention. It didn't take a genius to work out that that was it was going to be deleted after a few hours. The thing is, if you're there, you know, if you're on top of the world, it's a lot easier to look down. But when you're in bad form or you, you some city fans perceive you to be, in some respects, letting the side down, and then you're tweeting about another team who are way above you, or they were at the time. You know, it's it's uh, fool's gold, isn't it? Oh, well, that's just how that's just how it is now, like with Twitter and that kind of thing. And yeah. again, I, I don't know. Do we focus too much on Twitter? But yeah. sticking with sto- scapegoats, I mean, yeah, does it does it matter really? But I suppose it kind of does in shaping opinions yeah. and that kind of thing. I, I've always said I never want my I only ever want my club to be on the back pages. I don't want my club to ever be in the front of a newspaper or or to be in talked about for non football things. Yeah, yeah, trending for. Non-footballing reasons. Yeah, but then, but then that's the other side of it, especially especially with Morris. So like Gundogan is a player who has been scapegoated in the past when he's stepped in for David Silva and well, Kevin De Bruyne, and that I mean that yeah. statement should tell you all you need to know. He's yeah. stepping in for two of the best players in the Premier League and in Europe, yeah. and he he might not be at their level, but that's not a crime, is it? Well, they're they're two great yeah. players. Having a go at him for not being Kevin De Bruyne and David yeah, Silva. Yeah, you yeah. Know what I mean. So I mean that I suppose that kind of covers that one quickly. But the the biggest one is Mares. Yeah. I think at the moment, but that's kind of gone out a little bit because he's just not played in the Premier League. You know, he came on for two minutes of the day, 
and that was his first appearance into the Southampton game at the end of December, which seems like forever ago. Obviously, he played in the FA Cup twice, in the League Cup twice, which kind of might show you that not, not everything is right there because he's not playing in the Premier League, he is playing in the Cups. But he was getting kind of the scapegoating thing beforehand because, it looked to be in fairness, at first he didn't look like it, and then it, it looked like he'd settled in a bit. But then December time, it, it looked like he wasn't quite on the same wavelength as the rest. But again... He's a new player. He's just signed. He was the only player who signed. All these players got 100 points last year, playing exactly how they need to do. They know exactly what they need to do. Maris comes in. He needs to learn that. And he's, he's only been doing it for less than six months. Right. Let's get someone else's opinion on this. We've got Tim, who is on the phone. And Tim is all the way from New York. And Tim does a podcast called the Citizens Abroad Podcast. Hiya, Tim. Hey, everyone. How you doing? Hello, mate. How are you? Um, Tim, what do you think about the scapegoating subject that we were just talking about and specifically looking at, like, Mares, Gundogan, Danilo? What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, all those guys have gotten scapegoated at one point or another. You know, on my podcast, uh, I've been accused of scapegoating from time to time, and early on in the season, I had some problems with Gundogan. And, you know, like you said, part of it is that he wasn't KDB, that he wasn't uh, David Silva. And so... In the last few months, though, he's really stepped up. He's kind of figured out a way not to be those guys, but to be Gundogan and kind of uh, play a role that fits, you know, his, his athleticism better. He's been healthy for the first time in a long time, uh, fully at City. So uh, I've had to uh, back that up on Twitter quite a few times and apologize mm-hmm. to Gundogan. So uh, I'll do <laughs> one more time on the uh, on the airwaves as well. Well, criticism's fine of a player, isn't it? If it's you know kind of measured and understanding, I suppose. And obviously, as fans, everyone loses their temper. That's yeah. That's understandable. But running a, a podcast, especially over in the States, how, how do you find the, the, the fan culture and the following of City, and especially with the last couple of years, having the pre-season over there? How, how is the City brand kind of going on that side of the pond? It's going, yeah, it's going well. It's, uh, the, the fan culture is good and growing. Um, there is City supporters clubs all over the country. Uh, you see them being more of a presence on social media. Uh, there's a great one where I get to attend a few games a year uh, down in New York City in the West Village. Uh, they're called the New York Sky Blues. They meet at Amity Hall, and it is a really, uh, really excellent environment to watch uh, to watch a game in. And then, you know, as far as having preseason, it's been amazing. I actually attended the uh, Liverpool City match uh, at MetLife Stadium where the, where the Giants and Jets play, the American football teams. And to be able to watch it live was awesome. I will say it was probably... 60-40 Liverpool fans. Uh, the supporters are still decent, though, isn't it? More. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not bad at all. And, and, and you know, with City's success, obviously, the fan base is just going to grow and grow. And so I find that there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of growth and a lot of positive feedback for, uh, for a podcast being done over here in the States. Oh, brilliant. And we obviously have um, Sister Club over in New York. Does, does that, is that made any connection to you, um, the New York City? Do, do, do you care? Do the Americans know the sort of the connection between the clubs? I think they do. I think uh, it's very popular in New York. Uh, you know, the, the sport of football and you know, soccer, as we call it here in the States, um, has been around on a professional level for a long time, and so it's growing and growing. Uh, the um, New York, New Jersey Red Bulls have been, I think, in the MLS from their inauguration. And so when NYCFC came in a few years ago, uh, they started to develop a foothold. They obviously play at Yankee Stadium, which is one of the iconic venues uh, in the United States. And so they've been growing, and, you know, because of the color, 
dollars because of the kits, because of um, a lot of the connections that are slowly being made from City Football Group. I think that people are really starting to uh, to kind of notice the connection. And as both clubs start to have uh, a lot of success, um, it, it is going to turn supporters of NYCFC uh, into City fans, and I think vice versa. Can I ask, uh, I know you had the Super Bowl the other night, and me personally, I can't even spell uh, NFL. Um, <laughs> so I was looking at, do you know the popularity of uh, soccer, as you call it there? Uh, can you ever see it superseding one of the big American sports? Yeah, I can. I mean, I think really at this point, the Premier League specifically, and, you know, um, European football in general is growing uh, in a lot of ways. Obviously, a lot of uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona fans in the States, things like that. But the Premier League specifically, with its now, um, you, it's the availability on television is growing and growing. I think it's going to be getting close with the NHL to National Hockey League pretty soon. Um, and honestly, you know, I've always said to people within my lifetime at some point, whether it's 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, the, thing that, the things that are going on with health and safety in the NFL, um, head injuries and, and the, the toll it takes on your bodies, I really do think that NFL is going to uh, slowly kind of go the way uh, of boxing and things like that and, and kind of uh, lose their workforce before they lose their popularity. And I, I see a real opportunity for the Premier League especially to grow and fill some of that vacuum. Oh, brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Tim. I appreciate that you've given us um, a bell all the way over from New York. Um, if anybody is anywhere around the world and they want to get your po- podcast, how do they do that? Yeah, you can check it out on anywhere you get your podcasts, on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Google Play, Podbean, Player FM, all those places. And then uh, check me out on Twitter. It's at Citizen Podcast, C-I-T-Y-Z-E-N Podcast. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Tim. Ah, there we go. Call us from all around the world. Amazing. From over from over in New York. Um, really interesting um, uh, stuff from him as well. Right, loads more to talk about, so we better crack on because this list of things that have been going on in the city world is just is just huge this week. Um, when we came into to the office before, Sam, you were talking about an article that you'd read about Pep overthinking. Huh. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Uh, well, it's just, it, basically, it's a theme that always comes up. And I'm not sure if it's one of these things that kind of follows Guardiola around because another one is arrogance. So when City lost to Palace over Christmas, it was, was Guardiola arrogant because he didn't play, who was it, Aguero, and he didn't play De Bruyne. And De Bruyne didn't even start the next game. So that kind of shows you how he just wasn't fit. And I think Aguero, he wasn't fit either. But instead instead of looking at actual reasons why people might not play... It never seems to be far from people's mind to go, oh, is Guardiola being arrogant? And I think the same side of that coin is overthinking things because there is a bit of a pattern, in fairness, there is a bit of a pattern in big games where he tries something completely different. And there's, you know, there's books on it about his time at Bayern Munich, um, Barcelona as well, but in that evolution as a coach, definitely now at City. So the Liverpool games last year, the Arsenal um, final in the, champ- in the Carabao Cup, sorry, earlier last year, um, he kind of went with all his midfielders, basically similar to what he did on Sunday. And again on Sunday, he tried something completely new. And now it's just the idea that, oh, is he thinking too hard? But I'm, I'm just what I'm thinking is this is a difficult <laughs> this is a difficult game. Um, and are we are we criticising somebody for coming up with with tactics to do that? And I mean, people are making the case that look, Stefan Lichtstein was playing right back for Arsenal. Could he not just have played Sane there? I, I don't know. I mean, that does sound very simple, but football obviously isn't that simple. And if surely, surely if Guardiola thought that would have been the best way to go about it, he would have done that. And but even if not, for what he did choose, 
it caused three goals from the left-hand side. They all came from yeah, yeah. down the left-hand yeah. side, down Lickstein's side. So he exploited that weakness anyway. I, I'm just not really, I'm just not sure about this whole overthinking thing. It just seems a bit of an easy thing to say about a manager who's just got, frankly, loads of ideas. He could do a podcast on his own for about six hours. <laughs> I would definitely listen to that, by yes. the way. The pet podcast. <laughs> Let's get on to City for that. Um, so we're just going to go into a, another quick break now. When we come back, though, we're going to be answering your questions from Twitter. You still do have a chance to get any of those questions into us. You want to ask anybody here anything generally to do with City, probably the best idea. It's MCR Footy Social. And um, obviously, you know that I work at City Square as well. So we just want to let you know that on Saturday, there is a double header at City. Um, it's a really exciting weekend. You've got Nick Cushion's women's team playing Chelsea at 1pm at the Academy Stadium and then at 4pm of course we are also playing Chelsea as well. It's the first time ever that the men and the women have faced the same club opposition on the same day and if you're going to the men's game you can get into the women's game for just two quid. We'll be back in a minute. Manchester City Football Social Manchester City Football Social with Blue Moon Rising We're back on the Manchester City Football Social on Excess Manchester if you want to ring in, it's 0345 Give us a text on 87711 or even a tweet at MCR Footy Social. So uh, we're going to go lead in uh, with a straightaway with a uh, call with uh, Pat wanting to talk FFP. Hello, you there, Pat? Patrick? Yeah, hello, yeah, I can hear you. Hello, what do you want to talk about? No, I actually had just like two questions to ask. Right. Um, who's, who's there on the show today, by the way? Uh, it's me, Natalie. Hello, mate. It's Sam okay. Lee from Goal. And uh, Walter Smith. Oh, how you doing, Walter and Sam? <laughs> very well. well. We're all good, thanks, mate. Yeah, I'm actually a hardcore fan, so I'm very excited. <laughs> anyway, um, I wanted to ask something. A question for Sam, actually, because oh. he seems to know most of the deep stuff in. Uh, what do you think is the reason behind uh, all this... Uh, beating or where we're losing. I know people, I know you once said that we've got a sort of a policy where we have to look for a player, get them interested if they're interested to come in. But I think it has something to do with the financial fair play because we have lost on so many players, Fred, Jorginho, just to name a few. And we also lost recently, as as you can see on the gong, who's gone obviously to Barcelona. Does it have to do with them just not wanting to come to us? But I think also, does it have to do with the financial fair play? Maybe maybe they're afraid to go in a bidding war. Maybe they'll be done by the UEFA. What do you think yourself? Well, um, there's loads of different things about it. I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned just sometimes the players want to... They just want to go somewhere else. And then, yeah, when it came to Jorginho and they said, oh, you have to go to Chelsea, he was fine with that because he's known Sarri for ages, so he went. But... The different reason with that one was Napoli in the end refused to sell, and maybe City could have spent fifty-six million on him a few months beforehand, and you know got the agreement before it came to that. But to go into the next part of it, it's not really because of financial fair play in the sense of some of the stories we've seen recently about them pulling out of De Jong, because there was a few knocking about, and even his agent was on Sky Sports recently saying, you know, City had everything in place, and then they pulled out because of financial fair play. I don't actually think that's true from what I've heard. And also the club were very keen to kind of 
distance themselves from that behind the scenes. And, you know, I'd heard from a lot of other independent sources that City were in for De Jong right until the end. So I don't think there's any major FFP concern going on with City in their transfers. But just briefly, obviously, if they don't want to spend a lot of money on players, it's partly because of FFP and, you know, just generally running a good business. They don't want to be seen as a club who will just go and spend 100 million on a player. So they'll identify players who are 50, 60 million cheaper, ideally, but not always, usually about 50, 60 million in the last couple of summers, and they'll just go for them. So, yeah, it's broadly FFP, but I don't think there's any specific concerns. I, I don't think it is FFP, no. I think it's more that we were, that we feel like we won't be taken for a ride by yeah, players. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if we evaluate a player at 50 million and then they, they them and their agent come back to us or the, or the club that we're buying them from wanting 70 and wanting £200,000 a week, just because we've got the money, we we're not going to go yeah i think we're quite astute and we want to stick to our guns and say no this this was this was what we were prepared to go to united sanchez or fred or Jorginho or whoever else we're talking about go there because this is what we were willing to pay and that's it yeah exactly and with that straight on to another phone call we've got matt on and i think if i'm right in saying you want to speak about the atmosphere at the etihad are you all right there guys hello mate how are you doing hiya yeah uh so I just wanted to make the point really about uh, how although we've had a few big games recently, uh, most to note Liverpool, Arsenal, but e- even we're in a title challenge at the moment, we are still chasing. I just want to know what you guys think about the atmosphere recently. Uh, this is this is nothing to do with empty seats. That's a totally different conversation. That's got nothing to do with me. I'm I'm there week in week out uh, with with my dad and all our mates. Uh, but we want to know what the, like what you guys think about the atmosphere. Well, I. It's not just, I feel it's not just a City problem. You look across the board and there's every single team in the Premier League pretty much is trying to create and generate an atmosphere. I think it's more of a society problem. I mean, a lot of times we can get up for the games like the Liverpool game, the whole place was bouncing. So it can be done. And that opens the doors on so many other questions about ticketing and ticketing prices, policies. So there is a lot of things that can be done and every club's trying to do it. It's not just a city issue. Mm. I think the Liverpool atmosphere was one of the best atmospheres yeah. we've ever had at the Etihad. But then obviously that does make you question why why we can't do that more often. What do you think, Matt? What do you and your friends around you think? Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely with you there. I think uh, that, that, is, that is literally what I was, I was thinking um, with the Liverpool atmosphere was brilliant, but why, why don't we do this more often? Arsenal, for me, is a massive game. All right, they haven't been the Arsenal they've been in the past, but that's still a massive game. It's still a top-six team, and everyone needs to be behind the team. We're still chasing Liverpool. We're not, all right, we're three points behind them, but at the end of the day, if they win all their games, we're still three points behind them. If, if we lose one game, then we could drop again. So we need to keep building this atmosphere. And although like, the 1894 group are doing a really good job behind uh, in the South Stand, and don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking anything done. I think they've done a great job so far. Uh, I just think it has, if, if the South Stand isn't at its full like, capacity and everyone isn't singing, and I do think it has a knock-on effect on the rest of the ground because I'm, I'm towards, the, so towards the South Stand corner, mm. uh, so opposite the dugout, and it's... That corner won't sing unless the South Stand sing, and then yeah. it has a knock-on effect on the rest of the ground, which leads around to the family stand, which is where you want to try and create some more noise and get loads of kids interested in it. And I just wanted to know whether you think safe standing would be an option that needs to be really considered to help the atmosphere. Uh, I sit in the South Stand. I'm South Stand level two behind the goal. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I totally know what you're saying in terms of the South Stand needs to get everybody else going. I do think safe standing would help the atmosphere. Um, I really do. But I also, I don't think 
that there's and, and I, I hope I'm not too biased because obviously I work for the club but I don't think there's too much more the club can actually do on the atmosphere uh, well, I just see Walter ooing at me but I mean I think the ticket pricing has been really fair this season for you know for the cup games have been five quid for um, you know a child 15 quid for an adult obviously I work at City Square which is all about building the atmosphere um, yeah. so I don't know how much more the, the club can do obviously safe standing is a wider football issue but I do hope it comes in one day right Walter you was ooing at me no I mean, <laughs> we were talking beforehand and I think uh, City I think most clubs have got a brilliant opportunity you know you get the you get the the youngins in and you get also you provide cheaper meals and you provide cheaper pints all around the ground so you get the dads in a lot earlier and you know what it's like if you've had three or four down your neck you know you're going to be a bit more boisterous so yeah. I mean that's how I think the club can because it, it did it a couple of games last season where if you got in an hour and a half early you were able to buy a couple more pints and I found that the uh, atmosphere was better just because the dads were a bit more oiled up Thanks yeah. very much for that, Matt. Really appreciate yeah, thanks, it, mate. Matt. Um, Cheers, guys. It's it's not something with an easy answer, obviously, but safe standing might improve things in the years to come. Should we have a look at some questions from Twitter? We might yeah. even have to knock this Sunji High quiz over into the podcast at the end. Yeah, and, you, and Sam's been swatting for this Sunji High quiz that, well, that Joe been, in the studio it has written. Been absolutely embarrassing <laughs> so we'll test it on the podcast. But um, absolutely, loads of questions have come through onto our Twitter account. I want to say a big thank you to everybody. We've even had, we've had texts in. We've you know it's, it's it's so busy tonight. So let's try and whack through as many of these as we can. So um, we've got Brisbane Blue says questionable refereeing towards Liverpool. Why do you think it's happening? Is it, is anyone complicit? And is there a media agenda? Right. What do we think? Well, Richard Scudamore said. He didn't want City to run away with the league again, so that opens up that barrel of oh, can of worms, should I say? <laughs> what well, about it would be a barrel of worms? In fairness, um, the thing I mean, the thing is, the two last night were shocking. The two offsides, the one they scored from, and the one in the last minute, which I mean, that would have been a sickener if, if oh. Origi had scored that. Um, terrible, and I'm not really sure how you can excuse that or find excuses for it. But I mean, the Leicester game last week, they could have had a penalty, Liverpool. In fairness, um, I just think. I do just think it's one of those things. Like last season, about this time last season, City were having a load of bad tackles go against them and they weren't red cards. I don't think there was a conspiracy against City to not give the opposition teams red cards, but it just all seemed to happen at once. And I wonder if that's happening at the moment. But there is no question that the refereeing is terrible. Right. And yeah. the Scudamore thing, it kind of does make you wonder, I suppose. But Well, it's good for I the Premier know. League, isn't it? If you've got the bigger teams, yeah. the ones with the most fans. And, you know, City may get there one day, but at the moment, you know, they bring in the money from the worldwide round broadcast deals. They bring in the money with the yeah. newspaper, you know, because they're buying them and stuff. So it, it's a healthier Premier League and it can sell itself better if, you know, United and Liverpool are top. I think that links into the media agenda in terms yeah. of, yes, I think there is one because the media want to build more of a competition in the Premier League because then it builds up bigger games and more people watch and more people read. And also just because of the amount of ex-Liverpool players that there appears to be <laughs> on panels and, and, and in the media. OK, Lost Above on Twitter says, uh, could you talk about the system against Arsenal and give your opinion on whether we should just go simple, 4-3-3? So we talked about the system. Should we just go simple, 4-3-3, which every team seems to have a plan against? Oh, so he's kind of advocating not some, yeah, mixing it up more if every team's got a plan against it. Um, well, yeah, um, the Arsenal were probably a really good example. They weren't. It wasn't even just you know ten men behind the ball and one striker. They had two strikers and they were both playing as midfielders. Yeah. So Guardiola came up with something different to get around that. Look, it didn't all work perfectly in the first half. Fair enough, but it was something completely new. Ultimately, it did work, and I think 
it's obvious it's a no-brainer, really. If you've got more options and the 4-3-3 doesn't have to be relied on so much, then it's good. But let's not forget that 4-3-3, you know, that was the foundation for last season, which was incredible, and most of the good stuff this season as well. So, but if you can, fall, mix, it, fall if you can mix, it, mix it up in the middle of a game, you yeah. know, if Guardiola can say 30 minutes, he just holds his hand in the air and we completely switch formation... But that's it, he was doing that at Bayern, you know, and the players were tuned into that and it was drilled into them. So if you can mix and match it, you give the opposition manager a lot more to think about and hopefully, you know, you get the more goals. If they're more confused, they are. Yeah. Yeah, trusting Pep, that's what I see. Oh, always. <laughs> Jack Pierce 97 on Twitter wants to know why Foden isn't getting the seemingly compulsory, as he calls it, 30 minutes, especially when we're 3-0 up against Huddersfield away or playing Burnley in the Cup. Yeah, um, I think generally Guardiola just wants to win games and he doesn't take like any risk whatsoever. So I remember, I can't remember which game it was, but it was probably about six weeks ago and the game was just about in the bag. But, and everyone was thinking, why didn't he bring Foden on? But I think he was thinking, if they do score now, we've just taken Fernandinho off. It's then 3-2, I think it might have been. And then if Foden's on, he's completely unprepared for it. There's no Fernandinho there. And basically, I think he's just thinking, Mm. if this all goes wrong, then we're going to drop points. I'm going to be under pressure. We're not going to win the title. So basically, in a lot of situations, he's just going to go with players who are more rounded, more experienced, more senior. And people might disagree and people should think Foden should play. And he probably should play in a couple more, like you say, Huddersfield. He, He could have played. But generally, I think it's because Guardiola is thinking, I need to play my best players here, so I'm not getting sacked. Right, last really quick one. What's the confidence fit this situation with Mendy and how worried should we be about him? I don't think we should be worried about him. We're talking about a guy who's one of the best left-backs in the world. He's got pace to burn. I mean, we saw what he was like, you know, when he played for Monaco and he just ripped us apart. Uh, it takes a while to get going, but he's one of the top assisters in the league and he's hardly played. You know, that's the kind of quality and he offers us a completely different dimension. If he was playing against Arsenal... I think we've got more goals. Sorry we couldn't get more th- through more of your texts there, but do keep them coming in and we'll try and get to them next week as well. Stick around. If you are not listening on the podcast, download the podcast. If you are on the podcast, stick around. We're about to do a Sun Hai quiz in honour of the Chinese New Year. Big thank you very much for listening. Subscribe the podcast, give us a rating and have a wonderful week. Manchester City Football Social. You might be wondering what's going on with that music. <laughs> hello. Oh, hello, mystery oh, man. There goes my bong. Uh, how are you? What wonderful show, by the way. Cheers, oh, Joe. Wonderful show. I'm trying to give you a compliment here. No one's. No. That was just a warm up to this, mate. Yeah. Well, trust me. Strap yourselves in. Uh, today is obviously uh, Chinese New Year. It's the year of the pig. Uh, no comments, please. Uh, I have got <laughs> a Sunji High quiz for you here to enjoy. Are you all ready? No. Oh, sorry. That's always be simple. Sam, are you ready? Confident? Uh, well, yeah, let's see. Confident, Sam's been researching. Maybe. Of course he has. We gave, we gave the game away pretty early on. Uh, right, what year did Sunji High... Oh, no, by the way, I need... Uh, this is a quick-fire quiz. So, uh, you're all going to have your own little buzzer word. Walter, yours is going to be Sun. Sam, you're going to be G. And Nat, you're going to be High. Brilliant. On, on, <laughs> on life. On right. Life. What year did Manchester City sign Sunji Hai? Oh. oh, you said the whole thing there. What are we going for? 2004. 2004. Can anyone else throw a number at me? 2002. 2001. Uh, Sam, you are correct. <laughs> 2002. <laughs> now, how much did Manchester City pay Hi. for Sunji oh, Hai? Hi. Son. 
I'm just I have absolutely no idea. I'm going to say three hundred thousand pounds. Three hundred thousand pounds. Can I get a uh, another guess? Two million. Two. One point one million. Sam, bang on. Two million. I think he hasn't got the Wikipedia page up now or something. <laughs> I've got it up now. <laughs> right, uh, this will be in your memory, so I'm expecting everyone to uh, to shout this out as loud as you can. Can you remember against which club Sunji High Gee. scored his first oh. goal for Manchester City? Who said that? Sam. But Sam. I thought you were going to say debut, and I, I didn't research this bit. I'm going to guess Charlton. Anyone else? No. Hi. Uh, Everton. Hi. Hi, how you doing? Uh, uh, son, um, Leeds. Leeds. Oh, should we say which one's the closest? No, I'm not giving any of you it. It was Birmingham. <laughs> so you're wrong. Right, Sunji High is now 41 years old. He was born in 1977. Can you name what year the animal was when Sunji High was born? Son. Hi. Son, yeah, what you Snake. Snake, you are correct. No. Hey. Yes, Walter. <laughs> What does Sunji High have in common with Gary Neville and Stuart Pearce? Anyone? He fed the goat. He, well, pardon? Hey! <laughs> oh, He's hi! Not, yeah. He's Mr. Penalty at Main Road? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Sam, your go. Is it my go? I, I didn't volunteer for a go. Yeah, um, you have one. Uh, is he in the Manchester Hall of Fame? <gasps> Oh. Yes, it is, isn't it? Do you know what? Do you, the word in here is he's in the English Football oh, Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it not, are we not having it? Yeah, no. still one anyway. Uh, that is the final <laughs> question. Well done to Sam. Eight the first and maybe the last Sunji High. His debut against quiz. Coventry City. I'm just getting through all these. He's memorising before. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go now uh, back into my cage. You can say goodbye if you like. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye, bye. Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah, bye. I'm going to go off in a mood. You follow them from the stands. You follow them on the telly. You follow them in the pub. Now, you can follow City here. Play my flash briefing. All the latest Manchester City news is now available as a daily update via your Amazon smart speaker. Just search Manchester Football Social in store now to get the latest news from the Etihad whenever you want it without lifting a finger. <laughs> 